believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my co-host, Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's anxiety, depression, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. And for today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Erin Pace. She's a conscious embodiment guide and soul coach. Her responsive body practice combines cognitive, somatic, and energy-focused tools to help thriving leaders stay clear and aligned and to support adults, particularly women, to navigate anxiety, grief, life-threatening disease, depression, shame, relationships, intimacy, stuckness, and other life challenges. Erin holds a BFA from Syracuse University and has over 30 years of experience in various arenas of professional dance theater, event production, company management, and more. With the most recent half of those years devoted to helping women become fully expressed. Erin, I'd like to welcome you to our podcast today, and I can't wait to hear about all of this stuff, which I have no idea what it means, and you're going to enlighten us. Lauren, I think you may have a clue, right? Yes, oh, I have a clue, because I've been working with Erin as my teacher for the last six years, and truly her work has revolutionized my life. So yes, Erin, welcome. It's such an honor to be here with you both. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast, and it's just a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, it is our pleasure completely. Erin, tell us a little bit more about your your coaching, your practice. Is it is it something that uh, is more aligned with coaching, or might you call it something, a hybrid of other things? I would definitely call it a hybrid for sure. I help with unlocking awareness in the mind and sensational information in the body in order to restore restore a feeling of flow and of wholeness and of sacred vitality or aliveness. Sacred vitality and aliveness. I've been feeling kind of dragging today, so so you're going to help me out, right? <laughs> sure, I'd love to. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about where someone begins. Let's say someone walks in and says, hi, Aaron, I'm, I'm kind of dragging lately. Um, how do I begin this wonderful practice? Mm. Well, we would first start, we would begin by dropping into the body. So we would start with sort of a, what might feel like a meditative, welcoming home to your body. So with rooting down and uh, aligning your sort of energy within the central column of your body, feeling the breath of your body and feeling into your heart space, and then becoming curious about what the body might say versus the mind about what might serve you in our time together. So you think you might be coming in a certain way, but when we actually sit with our breath and tune into our heart, something else might show up. When you say what the body might say, my body doesn't talk to me. How does it say it? <laughs> I'm kind of curious. 
or maybe I'm just not listening. And that's probably more the case. <laughs> well, I do think that um, our body is very much alive and uh, it often works for us constantly in every moment when you think of the trillions of cells we have and how the body is working for us without us even really being tuned to that. So if we were to speak to our body, listening inward, because I believe it's an inside job, we have to go inside to know what's going on, not only just with the brain, but down into the sensations and the felt sense of the body, that it will talk back. So what that might reveal as is just, you just hear intuitively something from the body. So if you were to ask your heart in a moment of breathing into your heart, you know, what, what is alive in there right now, your heart, it, it's like an internal whisper that might come from your heart mm. that just says, I just want to be held mm. in this Lauren, moment. Lauren, you went through this process, right? Yes. And did you, were you able to listen? I guess, I guess maybe I'm coming at it from a guy perspective. And this sounds rather alien to me. Was it alien to you, or is this something that you either have or don't have, an intuitive kind of connection to the body? I guess it was a little bit strange at first, but it also felt like this amazing, like Erin referenced it as coming home. It felt like this connection that had always been there. I just didn't know quite how to connect to it. So I think everyone has the capacity for it, but it does really take a trust, an inner trust to allow your mind to be still enough so that your body can can speak and wow. communicate. That's that's really powerful. Wow, I'm impressed. So we all have this hidden treasure, this hidden potential. Okay. Let's let's go on, Erin. So we have this this within us, within our cellular level. How do we now actualize? Well, as we receive information from our body, so whether it's tuning into what's going on sensationally, like literally you may have a pain or a residue of emotional energy stirring or being held somewhere. So as we inquire of the body, as we go to the sensations and receive information, then we use our cognitive thinking, our thinking self to begin a processing to start to understand what is that that is existing within me and how do I want to address it? What is, some might say, what is required of me to make that shift or what is my body asking of me to be able to heal or unlock? It just seems like there's so much more to life, to, to this person that I am. And, and just listening to you, it's like, there's that much more? <laughs> I thought, I, I mean, to me, listening to my body was, I've, mm, I'm hungry, it's lunchtime, you know, that. so, so <laughs> there's a lot more. And uh, this is staggering. I mean, this is really, you know, beyond just the thinking part. And I know, Lauren, from our previous uh, podcasts, we've talked about all that cognitive worrying and all the chatter that goes on you know, we've called it chattering monkeys that jump around from tree to tree and just fill our mind with a lot of congestion. But it's much more than just what's up in our head, isn't it? Yes. And I, I, I love how you were just referencing how there, it's amazing how there's so much more. And I think through the work with Aaron's responsive body practice, that's exactly what 
you start to learn. And when you realize that, it's this amazing freedom because you can practice through the body. You can expand your potential to bring yourself out into the world in a new way. And dad, I was actually thinking like a way that you might be able to relate to this a little bit is by thinking of your experience with the marathon, because although it's very different, there are some similarities, which is when you are running a marathon, you have to be acutely aware of the sensations in your body if you have a chance of finishing. So you can't turn away from those pains that arise because if you do, you're gonna shut down. So you have to actually retrain yourself because we're so used to shutting down anything that's uncomfortable. So in those 26 miles, you actually have to be willing to move closer to it so that you can figure out how can I adjust in order to finish. and. So that's part of it. And the other part is that by completing that marathon, you've given yourself this body trust, which then translates to a mental trust that you can accomplish things in the world. And, and that's exactly what Aaron does just in a more, you know, a more in, intuitive way with, with, with different movements and things like that. Lauren, I just want to thank you uh, for bringing up that, that marathon image, because you're right. Now I realize I was listening to my body. My mm-hmm. goodness, I you know, and and that's like just startling to me that here I here I was at the beginning of this podcast thinking that I I does the does the body talk to me because I don't hear it. Hello, body. But but now you've pointed out that you know there are times where I have listened to my body and it's not a voice, and and I guess I guess that's why it's so shocking to me is because whoops, there's a glimpse of what you guys are talking about. Is that right? Yeah, and I love what you brought up, Lauren, because even just recently we were playing with movement and there's the recognizing the capacity that your body has to actually have the felt sensation of expansion allows the brain to process. That's the body informing the brain that all that is available to you. So a body that might be closed up, if you can speak to the body, like me working with a body or being a body self-guiding itself, you would even just lengthening into a stretch and allowing a movement that you are programmed to experience a certain way to reach another three inches in every direction, you're actually accessing a supply of expansion and having a physical body experience of expansion and what it feels like to open bigger and further and wider and to grow bigger in your actual space, that experience can then inform your thinking self of, wow, there's so much more available to me. And it speaks to what Lauren was just talking about because we had that experience with her in movement recently. You're talking about expansion. And of course, I have to bring it down to my level. <laughs> Girls will have to excuse me. But if I'm reaching for something up in the cupboard and it's about two inches beyond my reach, if I keep reaching and reaching and reaching, somehow I reach it. <laughs> my my <laughs> arm expands. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess expansion is both mechanical and physical and psychological is it is it all of that yeah i think so absolutely what we believe there's the functioning of also what we believe we're able to do and what we're not and how quickly we we stop ourselves from believing we can do something Mm. that's a programming as well so 
even in just the reaching of that, there's trusting that your body, knowing your own <laughs> capacity. Um, so there's a, a general knowing and awareness of what your body is capable of doing is important, but you obviously had the ability to do that. And, and as you get more present with your body, you're able to understand, oh, if I just adjust in this way, I can reach that thing. Mm. And it does, it is a great metaphor for expansion. Um, I think there's, that also stirs up for me the, the thought around things being outside of us ourselves versus within ourselves. So the expansion belief being coming from within as opposed to I have to get that thing that's outside of me. It's different from what you're talking about, but it just brought that up for me. I, I, I would I would imagine that let's take depression. There's a closing down, there's a shutting down, there's the the opposite, the antithesis of expansion. It's a contraction. So expansion for someone with depression or moodiness, I could imagine where this can be life-saving. It is. It it quite literally is. There, the depressed body reveals as depleted, lost, a body that doesn't believe in itself or know itself. Mm. And so to allow your reprogramming of thoughts, your reframing of thoughts, as you might say, to help guide the body back into aliveness, which is literally energize the body by bringing your awareness and attention to each part of you and inviting it to come to life, inviting it to have the life it was brought here to have. We choose, I believe we choose our bodies. So to activate liveliness, we need our thinking to be present and our feeling to be present, to come to our knowing of activation of higher, higher presence and trust that you can be more in the present moment of with truth rather than the untruth that is often connected to depression. Erin, when you say body, are you referring to mind body or just physical body? I'm, I'm not sure. I understand that. Well, in this case, I was speaking to the physical body, but the body, you know, the brain is part of the body. So the mind is part of the body. It's how they inform each other is what I'm talking about. But specifically in that example, I was talking about the physical body. I often, uh, I often talk about neuroplasticity, the, the brain's ability to change with learning. And I always tell patients, I said, you know, you have to consider your thoughts more than just abstractions. They are legitimate electrical, chemical, neurological effects that take place in your brain. Maybe one thought isn't going to bring on a depression. But if it is a chronic thinking in the in the dark over time, then of course it becomes cumulative. And we do start changing the structure, the literal structure of our brain's anatomy. So mind-body, it's not just a euphemism, it, it's actually a fact. And I think this is wonderful combining the way you do the body work with the cognitive and with the spiritual. We'll, we'll get into that spiritual because that 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 throws me a bit. <laughs> Can I just interject really quickly because uh, you were speaking of, of depression, but I actually, when I first started working with Erin, I was dealing with some anxiety that was interfering with my sleep. So I was having sleepwalking episodes and uh, difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep. And 
of course, dad, you were such a great influence with the cognitive piece. And I would try to do like meditations before falling asleep and reframing an anxious thoughts and, and things like that, which all was working to some degree, but there was this lingering anxiety and it was actually through the body through, it was, how do I say it was, it was just a moving closer to that anxious feeling and actually allowing myself to experience it fully. And once I did, it dissipated. <laughs> it was like this uh, uh, sensation that I had been trying to push down. And the more that I tried to push it down and try to avoid it with my thoughts by like bypassing with reframing my thoughts, I think the anxiety had a place to fester and it just wasn't, it wasn't getting unstuck. And then through the body work, I was able to actually allow myself to move towards the sensations allow them to exist and then let them go. Mm. You know, this is, this is a humbling experience for me because I, I certainly recall trying to help you with that sleepwalking, which was, you know, it's terrifying sometimes. And, and I, I threw every psychological tool I had at you, Lauren. And, and now what I'm hearing is that there was more to it. And I didn't have this perspective so my psychological tools went so far and this body work went the further really went the, you know to the goal so so it's a humbling experience for me to think that the psychology without the full appreciation for mind body is is a limited experience and i say that in all candor i think that's why i like to refer it as wholeness the whole holy body the body that is um, being listened to from head to toe. And we're, we're wired to respond through our programming. We're wired to respond certain ways. And so there was a programming in Lauren's body with that experience of shutting down the, the anxiety and by going in and listening to it and truly being with it, being with the sensation and allowing that energy that is stored in the cells, in the muscles, particularly for her, it was in the solar plexus, um, to be felt, to be heard, to be seen, to be given compassion and forgiveness for like tightening, allowed the recalibration around, allowed the uh, response to change. It, it allowed for a rewiring. Hmm. I, I know last week, Lauren, you and I were talking about yielding and resisting. Aaron, you're going to help me with this because I, I often feel that the things that create the most psychological friction are when we resist. And I'm kind of hearing you saying that we need to go from resistance to yielding. Is, am I stepping too far with that? No, you're absolutely right on it. Our resistance is information and it's where the healing or the, or the vulnerability, you know, needs attention or craves attention, I think. Absolutely, it's our greatest information is found in, in for where we can grow is found in where we are resistant. Lauren, where are you resistant? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's interesting because every time you sort of allow yourself to go into the practice of the body movement with responsive body, you each day it presents slightly differently. But when you have the awareness to notice it, it becomes really powerful because you can make shifts so quickly once once you become attuned attuned to it hmm. it really is incredible the quickness 
when you're in the practice of listening down into the body this way. How do you how do you apply it, Lauren? You're you're a practitioner of of Aaron's philosophy and guidance. H- how do you practice this? What do we call energy focused? Responsive body. Responsive body. How do you how do you apply this in the day to day? I mean, I don't have it. So, so if I'm stressed or if I'm anxious about something, I have to kind of work it out, reframe it, think it through. But how do you apply now this more holistic approach on a day to day level? You, do you mean how do I practice it, or how does it affect my life? Well, like how do I? Yeah, I mean, how do you apply it to struggles? Hmm. So that that for me is really the fun part because whenever there's some sort of challenge that comes up externally in my world, I love to to go to this practice because simply, you know, by experiencing it in a safe space within your own body, let's say the challenge is a disagreement with a friend that's that's causing um, stress. Simply by practicing with your own body, you can find the tools that you're missing. Like it might be, um, you know, stepping or expanding, like Aaron said earlier, or finding your own truth in order to stand up for yourself or finding a way to protect yourself uh, if that's what's needed. So you, you kind of, even if it's not clear to you what exactly is causing the discomfort through the movement and the practice, you start to get really clear and you then apply whatever it is that you were able to access, you can apply to a specific situation or just a situation at large to become more confident or more comfortable, more willing to say yes to things or try new things. That's been my experience. It's it's given me the, the confidence. You have a complete toolbox, whereas I have a toolbox with nothing in it. You have all these tools. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what, Aaron and Lauren, what, what kind of tools, any specifics that you can share? Uh, well, there's always a, you could do a simple body scan over your body. You know, if, if throughout the day you're just at a desk, for instance, if you sit at a desk all day, set a timer on your phone and, and just check in uh, several times of the day and do a body scan. Close your eyes, breathe into your body deeply into the low belly breath and just feel where you are deadened, where you're alive. And you can then respond with a movement or a stretch or a rub or something else that supports just waking up the flow of energy in your body. So it might be rolling down your spine, giving a little bounce into your knees. It might be reaching up and opening the body up and kind of energy, calling for some energy from honestly the earth to pull it up into your body and just feel more alive in your body. You could do something like that, just respond with a number of different stretches or touches, or if it's emotionally something going on, you know, it's collaborating with the sensations and just becoming an observer without any judgment around, Mm. oh, wow, I didn't realize that I was feeling that right now. I'm carrying some grief because, you know, even though I'm at work, I'm holding and storing a lot of grief in this part of my body right now. And I'm going to tell that part of myself because we can speak to ourselves. I'll, I'll pay attention to that later. I'll come back to you. Don't worry, I've got you. You know, it's you and you, really. And um, we either are sort of managing our bodies or we're experiencing our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so I 
like to invite people to really experience the body more because there's so much more pleasure and capacity available and potential for uh, just an, a more highly energized, highly vibrant, present mm. experience day to day when you do that. Well, that's wonderful. Observing without judging. That's so powerful. I know both of you, and I'm going to guess, I don't know, but I guess both of you enjoy reading Eckhart Tolle, and as I do. And the one thing that sticks out, because I usually forget everything I read, but the one thing that sticks out is that he was talking about when you, when you go for a walk or something and you see a tree, to, you know, in our mind, we say tree and we compare it to other trees we've known in our life. So the tree now becomes more of a cognitive event rather than an experience. And to to just experience the treeness without judging it, you know, that's a good tree, that's a bad tree. And it's it's such a it, it's not easy, at least for me, it's not easy to to go out for a walk or a jog and and just be with nature without judging it, interpreting it, labeling it. So I kind of hear that coming through, Erin. Am I off track? No, you're absolutely on track. It is that presence, it is that taking in, it's being fully with yourself it's us and I, it's you and you 24 7. no one else has the privilege of being hmm. you right so the the way in which you respect nature and be with nature and be with yourself within the framework of nature you are filling your soul up you are energizing your, you know, you're just feeding energy to presence. <laughs> the more we can do that, the more we are having an enriched and a full experience. Boy, that, that's such a beautiful expression, the privilege to be you. Wow. I usually say, you know, we are inviolate and we cannot violate the person that we are. And if we do, then we have psychological consequences, anxiety, depression, etc. And and I often tell patients, I say, you not embracing you, it's, it's really a crime against your maker. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with you. And the last thing we should be doing is judging ourselves as being inadequate, not good enough, wrong, so I like the word inviolate, and I like the word not judging who we are. Very powerful stuff. One of the things that this, when I first started this practice that I noticed right away is that Aaron and other, other teachers will say, instead of saying, how, are, how is your body responding? They'll refer to your body in the, in the third place person so they'll they'll talk or second person actually they'll say how is she responding or it's so they're depersonalizing the body at first because it's so difficult for so many people to be kind and compassionate to themselves and that little shift actually really was helpful that's helpful for me that works for me thank you yeah <laughs> yeah so you ask you actually ask your mind how your body is doing and it gives you permission to care for yourself and I love a friend of mine says, how are you being rather than how are you doing? And I love that so much. How are you being? Mm. Boy, this is very, very interesting. And it's so interesting, more, maybe more so for me, because I was so uh, unaware of this other stuff that you guys are, are talking about and, and just so knowledgeable about. This is exciting stuff. 
and I guess I guess you see this when when maybe from my yoga experiences when you see this kind of awakening happening in those that you work with. Oh, absolutely! It is the most heart filling experience to witness someone come more fully into themselves mm. with trust and with respect and that sovereignty that is available to everyone, and it is connected to understanding what is really true. I think the brain plays tricks on us in our programming and is, you know, we get habituated in how we react to things versus feel what's happening and choose to respond with compassion and care and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah, the brain. Absolutely. The brain the brain plays tricks on us from a self-coaching standpoint. Uh, it is the insecurity-driven thoughts that come, you know, those early thoughts that uh, that insecurity tends to kind of uh, cluster around the the what ifs, the worrium, the 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 anxious thoughts. Insecurity tends to drive that kind of thinking, and it tricks us into believing that we are those thoughts. And and I I really feel very very strongly on helping people understand that. The thoughts of insecurity are an overlay, like a, an overcoat that you put on, an overlay to your, your rather sacrosanct person that you are. And when those thoughts are steering, then those thoughts are in control and you are not. So exactly. I guess I guess I'm making that distinction as well. And and maybe maybe I'm more aligned with this experience that you girls are, are suggesting than I realize. But I think it's important that we we don't identify with our depression, with our anxiety, with insecurity-driven thinking. It's it's not us. We are inviolate. I love, I keep coming back to that. I love that too. I really love that. Yeah. And we're not broken like something one of you touched on earlier. It's, you know, we are not broken. We are perfect and whole. And our pure soul essence is the essence of love. And if we can accept that about ourselves and see the truth in that, you're already taking a massive step forward if you're struggling with something like depression. Would I put you on the spot, Erin, if I asked you to describe what you mean by love? I know it's nebulous, but I'd, I'd be curious to have you wander around with that concept. Ah, love, being love in the world. The art of love is inherent in soulful living, I like to say. Love is the language of our soul. It is, hmm. it is kindness. It is grace incarnate. It is all forgiving and it chooses compassion over. It's more difficult to be, it's, it's much easier for people to choose pride and become defensive and act. This is speaking to the responsiveness, right? So like in re, our program reactivity, or reactionary ways in the world or ways of being often don't align with love. And the love path is, in my opinion, sometimes more difficult. It requires more of our, ourselves. It requires ooh, restoring like, I, I, we all are at our very, very core, perfect love beings. And all of the wounds and the, the practiced ways of being that have grown us into who we are, 
you know, is layered on top of that. And whether we're looking at those layers or stripping them away or doing the work to, to clear residue uh, that isn't in service of what is highest good, <laughs> we are not aligned with loving ways. And if only more love could be present. I, th I think that you know, we are moving toward uh, an understanding of love from a from a chemical standpoint. I mean, I know that sounds mm -hmm. crazy. Oxytocin, it's a chemical in the brain that that some scientists are saying it's what makes us feel the empathy toward others. It's the relationship uh, hormone. So there there are aspects of us that, as you say, Aaron, that are just programmed to love. Uh, something something in us is predisposed to this emotion. And, and I guess in a collective sense, you know, it is not to be denied. And if denied, then we are creating a kind of vacuum, a wound, if you will. Mm, beautifully said. Lauren, Lauren, I, 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 would, I would certainly want you to admit that you've always loved your father. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. How would you, you want to take a stab at this concept of love? I know, again, I'm, I'm sorry to bring up such a nebulous, abstract concept, but, but I think it's, it's so worth exploring. You know, we all, we all use it and we all, you kind of know it when you see it kind of thing, but you know, what, what, what is this thing? What is this force? Is it just a force? Is it just an energy? What do you think, Laura? I think similar to what Aaron said, it's, it's like the pure, it's the pure essence of, of life. So if you could, if you could get back to that, I think, you know, if you see a newborn baby, like they just are pure love. There's nothing about them that, you know, feels different than love. So it's, it's, we all have that at our, at our core. And I think a lot of these practices are just trying to restore that to get, to get closer to the true essence of, of someone. And I think when you say you are in love with someone, it's, you're, you're seeing their truth you're seeing who the essence of them the love of them and that pure radiant love of a child of a newborn um it's exquisite to watch because there's no attachment they haven't built attachments to stories or disappointments or things that have happened throughout their life there's just an open purity yeah it is yeah we we uh, lauren and i share my granddaughter lauren's niece uh, we share a, a, a two-year-old, and and everything that you say is is so true. The the essence is there, and it's it's so unambiguous. It's it's really a lesson to be had by experiencing children without judgment. See, I'm getting careful, and and to really try to allow that to affect us. Isn't it true that we often try to recapture some of those those We'll call them childish memories, feelings, those experiences that were so just just unencumbered, you know, with or untainted. And we, we tend to get so congested as we grow and mature in our complex society, and we tend to move further and further away from that essence. And it's all right there. It's all embodied in those young little bodies and minds going around just being. Kids, when they play, they play with full intent. When I play, uh, maybe 
maybe most intent, but oftentimes one thought is going this way, another thought is going that way. Being present is what I'm learning a lot about recently, and Lauren has helped me, and Aaron, you today. And being more present, boy, is that an antidote to defective living? Mm-hmm. Bringing up the 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 child as you know, being pure, pure love, pure essence. It also, if you look at a child's body as they're, when they're still little, like they're, they're fully alive in in their body and, and they can experience sensation in a way that we often numb as we get older. So when you are trying to, you know, really crack into what is this, the body speaking to me, what does that look like? What does that feel like? I think you can actually get a glimpse of that just by watching a child and the way that they're they're so fully alive in their movements and their body in the way they respond to sensation. They're not afraid to to tell you and to to you know understand that for themselves. Yeah, they're in a love state, not a fear state. And there is a um if you watch ch- children breathe, they naturally breathe into the low belly. There is a fullness of being through their breath. Hmm. Lauren, you you're a, a- Previously, you were a classroom teacher, seven years, I believe, six or seven years? Thirteen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I don't pay attention to my daughter. <laughs> Sue me. <laughs> you, so you were this very experienced teacher uh, from kindergarten to fifth grade. I hope I have that right. And I know even, even other grades. But I guess my question to you, Lauren, specifically is when you start with seeing kindergarten students and they start to grow in your first grade up to fourth fifth sixth and i know you've gone into middle school do you see a transition away from that innocence is it actually observable as they become more like us adults yeah oh absolutely yes although the the other thing that i see that is in direct contrast to that is i also see kids as they are growing they're also longing to keep their innocence and it's harder and harder these days with all of like the onslaught of responsibility and um different inputs that they have in their world but i do see kids love being kids <laughs> and they they crave mm-hmm. it i remember when i taught middle school i had this little penguin that sat on my desk that someone had given me and the kids they would just love when i would make the penguin talk and it was fascinating to me because i was teaching eighth grade at the time and um, I just, yeah, it just was this realization that that kids, that they associate that that state of being a kid is there's nothing better than yeah. that. I remember uh, learning transactional analysis and the model for TA, transactional analysis, is the parent adult child. The parent is that punitive, you know, you should do this, you should do that. The child, of course, is that child we're talking about. And then the adult is that mature, responsible person. But One thing that I remember from the courses I took in TA was always, you have to let your child out to play. And that child is still part of us. It's there. It's it's a component of all of this. Maybe we wouldn't call it a child, but it is kind of a playfulness. It's it, what, what about that? Is there, is there, would you guys see a kind of child or playfulness as part of the psyche? Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people approach it as inner child work. We've definitely... Uh, I do that in my practice with with um, women in particular, you know, going back to embrace the wounded child and honor that she had something that wasn't uh, 
seen or mm -hmm. held in a moment of need and being able to offer that to yourself using the consciousness, using visualization, using meditation, whatever it may be as a vehicle to hug her back into you. So there's that part, you're, you reconnect that part of yourself and hmm. it just, it's a great process to have. And I definitely use a lot of playfulness in my dance work in, in the part of the movement practice that is dance, because I feel like the spirit of joy that on the Abraham Hicks emotional scale is the highest vibration emotion and just allowing the flow of joy in your body and the playfulness that's available to you at, in every moment can serve your energy can feed the heart you know the heart emanates just so much energy and if you're awakening that with the essence of joy you are vibrating higher and louder and more more beautifully in the world i this is this is just incredible you you reconnecting with you know the, these i guess previously depersonalized aspects of our psyche and i remember uh it was carl jung who said that the the ego that which we are conscious of is like this small island in this vast ocean of potentiality intuition instinct uh, it's it just seems so true listening to the two of you and, and the work that you're doing that there's so much more, this ocean of possibility. I can see why you're excited about what you do. Mm. Thank you. It is about possibility. It is about loving the self and seeing what's real and being in the moment so that you can experience life more fully more kindly, more graciously, more robustly, and in heightened, more ecstatic levels so that life doesn't pass you by. Every moment is so precious. Wow. So life doesn't pass us by. It's not a dress rehearsal. We go around one time. Those thoughts are important. They matter. The thoughts we have, the feelings we have, it all matters. What a wonderful discussion today. I'm, I'm Lauren, I'm sure you'll chime in. This, to me, has awakened in me a kind of one-sided development. Uh, I, I'm not totally opaque to this. I, I have studied some yoga and meditation, but, but I haven't really been back to that until this podcast. So it's, it's another path that I'd like to start to go down. And Erin, I would I would hope that you will join us again, because I think this is a conversation that needs to be ongoing. Lauren, do you agree? Would you like to add something? I wholeheartedly agree, and I don't have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> I would be most honored to be back. It's such a pleasure to be here with you both. Thank you for having me. Oh, Erin, you're terrific. Thank you again, and let us move on to uh, next week. And let me just remind people, you can visit our selfcoaching.net website where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And while, while you're there, check out my number one best-selling books, now published in 10 languages. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless. And you 
are not powerless. And remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me and Lauren and hopefully Erin again, and let's make it simple Believe together. Yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart.